Hello and welcome back to Nomads You and I. Today we will be jumping into James chapter 5 verses 1 through 11. And before we do that, Mark, one of the cool stops that we had on this leg on our way to Florida was something that we'd been wanting to do for quite a while, and that was to visit Los Alamos. Yes, one of the secret cities, along with Oak Ridge and Hanford, during the Second World War were the Manhattan Project, the race to develop the atomic bomb mm-hmm. before the enemy developed it, where that that all took place. Yeah, one of the monuments said that. And those weapons really were what ended World War II and helped develop the nuclear forces that detoured global conflict for the past 50 years. The things that happened in Los Alamos really is in part the way that God, through his kindness to us, allowed us and really the rest of the world to enjoy some kind of level of peace and safety. Yes, the very fact that the Allies were able to develop it first uh, means that, you know, if you've been born since then, you owe others a debt of gratitude for your freedoms Mm -hmm. in this country or your very existence, the existence of your parents. Mm -hmm. It was kind of a cool time to visit because we got to sit in the rocking chair on Oppenheimer's front porch, each of us, and so that was kind of surreal. He was the one who... Yes, headed up the Manhattan Project. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just amazing that they were able to accomplish what they accomplished. Just incredible hard work, long hours put in, absolute dedication. Also, the grandson of Leslie Groves, who was the army general in charge of Los Alamos, showed up when we were there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I remember our tour guide felt it was almost like the Backstreet Boys had shown up or something because she was like, you know, couldn't believe her eyes and what was happening. And so that was just such a coincidence. I guess he was there because he's also going to be doing a documentary coming up, Word on the Street is. But yes, so we had no idea when we went on the tour because we generally just to have kind of given up on modern movies, but found out that a movie had just come out. So they had had a lot more visitors because of the movie Oppenheimer that had that had come out. Um, and so we don't really have plans to see that. Maybe we'll see it someday. Maybe we'll round up some VidAngel one of these days, Mark, when we have time to watch things. Right now we're too swamped with projects. But the thing that was interesting to me was that I understand that the movie set had donated a lot of the furniture and furnishings that they had used in the movie that, of course, were very, very well researched on, you know, trying to find things that made it look exactly how the home was furnished. And so they had donated that to the real Oppenheimer house. But when you look through the windows there, we visited at a time where they were all just stacked up. Nothing had been arranged yet. And so eventually our understanding is they've just acquired that house. It was owned by someone else. They've just recently acquired it again. And so that they'll be able to soon be more tours through the Oppenheimer house. Also, Mark, the first time we've ever seen a Nobel Prize in person, right? That was I believe so. really yeah. great. Yeah. My advice is always read the book. Don't mm-hmm. depend on the movie. Oh, you read it, an entire. I, yeah. re- I read a, a book about his book. life. And there's a couple of them, but... Read the book, and if you do see the movie, that will tell you often where the movie didn't get it right Mm -hmm. or where the movie embellished. Mm -hmm. Remember, the purpose a lot of times in movies is not to necessarily inform. It's to rather create. It's to entertain. (laughs) Right. Yeah. All right. Shall we jump in then to James chapter 1, verses 1 through 11? 
Absolutely. There it says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted, and their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you, cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it, until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. This is an interesting section. The first question is the rich. Okay. Are they rich unbelievers or rich Christians? Oh. Now, if they were rich Christians and abusing their brethren, the same comment would apply. Mm-hmm. Okay. But it looks like they're rich non-Christians, and it looks like in verse 7, that's when James shifts to the Christians oh. and starts talking to them. I'm not sure if one of the reasons we have this here is Like Psalm 73, one of the common temptations among God's people is to envy the wealthy Mm, and the powerful, mm -hmm. uh or particularly particularly envy them when it looks like the lives of worldly, wealthy, unbelieving people are smooth, Mm -hmm. and here I am struggling just to kind of make any, right? It doesn't seem fair. And so there may be kind of a warning here against falling into that trap because certainly in verses one through six james paints a picture of people that you would not want to envy right they're really in trouble they need to be howling because miseries are Mm -hmm. coming upon them and this has reached the ears of the lord of hosts all right which means he's coming against you and that's not good. Mm-hmm. So we see in the scriptures that there are some that are rich that don't use their riches in the ways that we're about to read about in verse two. Like you think about when our spiritual father Abraham allows Lot to choose whichever of the land that he wants. So he was very generous. When we see generosity among Christians in Acts chapter two, verses 42 through 45, you know, when they sell some property in order that other Christians can survive. Yeah, as I look through this section, Cindy, it's clearly there's nothing wrong with being rich. There were rich Christians. Abraham was rich. But there's a couple of things that jump out to me here as far as clearly we're talking about the abuse of wealth. Mm-hmm. That is, we have so much wealth hoarded up that the, their garments are getting moth-eaten. That is, they're not able to wear everything. Oh, okay. I see. Yeah. The other thing would be in verse 4, they haven't paid the people that mowed their fields. Yeah. They're, they're not, you they're can not totally being, afford that. <laughs> yeah, they're not being prompt in payment there. Yes. Um, 
And then also, how about verse 5? Uh-huh. They're living luxuriously. Reminds me of the rich man of Lean, right? Who fared sumptuously every day and was always dressed right. right. And could care less about someone so like Lazarus. It's like while the children of the laborers who mowed their fields are going hungry, they are... They're fiddling. They're, they're partying. Yeah. And then it talks about a life of wanton pleasure, mm, verse 5. Yeah. And so I think that gives us a picture of wealthy, powerful individuals who are just living for themselves. They're not helping anybody. They're not generous. They're zero compassion. They're not even paying their workers properly. It also, verse 6, Yeah. Th- these same people are persecuting righteous individuals. Mm-hmm. And so they're kind of using the courts and using their power against Christians. Right. And so I think it presents a very good picture like, hey, to people out there in the world, is this you? Yeah. Yes. We must all render to all that is due them, like Romans 13, 7 says. And what a blessing that God sees all injustice, right? As he did when Cain slew Abel in Genesis 4. That reminded me of that same wording of, you know, it says it it cries out against you, that money. And so just like the blood of Abel cried out to God when that injustice happened in Genesis chapter 4. So he sees all, you know, he sees when we're slandered. He sees every injustice. So one of the many beautiful things about that is that we need not always to work overtime trying to settle the score. You know what I'm saying? Like making mm-hmm. sure that we're being treated with justice on our own constantly, that God knows the truth. You don't have to go out and defend your reputation every time or that kind of thing because God knows. And it's just a comfort that he hears our prayers and knows all. Yeah. So in verse one, I think the thought is that If you guys in this category, living for self, really understood what was coming upon you, you Mm. you'd be shrieking. That's how serious it is over the prospect. That is miseries, hardship, trouble, calamity, wretchedness is on its way. Mm -hmm. Now, some feel that one application, since it looks like James is talking to Christians of a Jewish background, maybe even in Judea, all right? Okay. The, the late, the early and the late rains is one of those expressions. Oh. Like that would be a part of the world that people would understand that. Okay. The judgment that could be coming would be the structure of Jerusalem. Oh. And that could be, but that's going to get the poor too. Uh, it just seems like the judgment under consideration is that final judgment to come. I remember when Paul talked to Felix about what? Righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come in Acts 24, 25 is that it says Felix was terrified. Mm, mm-hmm. And so this is a judgment that definitely is a terrifying thing. Hebrews 10 talks about it's a terrifying thing to fall into the mm-hmm. hands of a living God, mm-hmm. particularly when you're not right with him. Mm-hmm. Which is what is happening when we see that expression wanton pleasure. So mm-hmm. Wanton is not a word that we use much in the English language at present, but is this like cruelty and violence and sexually unrestrained? Just following every instant gratification. Okay. Now, in two and three, there's interesting language here. The riches are rotted. Your garments have become Mm moth-eaten. And it could be that that hasn't happened yet, you know, is that they're looking at it going like, oh, my, everything looks pretty good still, you know. Did it appear to them that way? My barns are well cared for, my grain's protected, my robes have servants mm-hmm. that make sure they're all sparkly and everything. And But I think he's seen it from God's 
point of view mm-hmm. and also what can easily happen to all those things. Jesus talked about that in Matthew six nineteen through 24 about the danger of putting all your eggs in the earthly basket because people can steal it. Mm-hmm. Moth, rust, time, corruption can just come after it. Yeah. And Mark verse 6 seems to be the most offensive of all, perhaps, where it says, And you have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. Yeah, and it's almost like self-absorption naturally leads to that because it might be the righteous man who's calling you on it, Mm. who's pointed out, Mm -hmm. or it might be the righteous man's life. Maybe he's not saying anything to you. His life exposes you. Mm. And so... Like Cain had to get rid of Abel, you know, I got to get rid of those Christians because they just remind me of my inward corruption that I'm not willing to address. So what do you think it means he does not resist you? The righteous man's not putting up a fight. Now, obviously, we're allowed to defend ourselves in court. Paul Mm -hmm. did that, right? Yes, I I remember when he said, I'm a Roman citizen. So Paul would defend himself. I think this is probably a situation where society is corrupt and even the courts. He's saying, okay, right now you've got the stranglehold on that godly person, but God sees it Mm -hmm. and your time's limited and judgment's going to arrive Mm -hmm. and you're in trouble. A lot of times God's people wait on the Lord rather than take their own vengeance. Romans 12, verses 17 through 19. Yeah, and you see that at the end of verse 4. Just reach the ears of the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the uh heavenly armies. Yes. The Lord who comes in judgment. Mm -hmm. It's interesting in verse 3. It almost seems to be he's saying, you've been building the wrong kind of treasure. You've been building the wrong kind of refuge. These people have treasured up something that they thought would go on forever, right? Mm, Yes. And the phrase, the last days here, can refer to the Christian age, the last dispensation, naturally the whole period of time until the Lord's return. So, you know, what are you doing? You could die at any moment. Chapter 4 noted that. No matter how wealthy you are, you could be gone any moment. Jesus could show up at any moment. And you've built the wrong foundation. All your wealth cannot save you. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Or as the man in Luke 12, your soul's required of you and you got a problem. You're not rich toward God. Yes. Rich people can be rich toward God. We see that from time to time within the scriptures. But more often it is the poor that accept the gospel and receive it because they see the value in spiritual wealth. Absolutely. A couple of things here. It's easy to read these passages and say, yeah, man, those rich people. Okay, wait a minute. If you're born in America, <laughs> yes, uh, the word wealth is a relative term. It really is. You're wealthier than most people in the world. So kind of keep that in mind. Be careful that you don't look primarily to other people that have a little bit more than you. You need to see all the people below you that you have a lot more than them. Well, that- and I think about what 
measure of wealth do we have compared to the people that lived before us? Like if you're going to compare yourself to every person who has ever lived, you, yeah, you factor you in technology and medicine and indoor tra- plumbing, electricity, cars, yeah. air conditioning. Yes. The very, very poorest among us, you know. You live in greater comfort than Julius Caesar ever did. <clears throat> On a humorous level. We noticed that at Lyndon B. Johnson's house. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it we was, walk it away was, and we're like, what a dump. Like, yeah, it was kind of, yeah, it was kind of like, <laughs> Eh, kind of a dump, you know, dated, you know, and they want it was only it that way. It was the president's house. In fact, they had this a nickname is, like this is the White House. What did they call it? Oh, what was it? It was was it the Texas White House? It was something like something that. like that. And so it was the best money could buy, like in 1960, 60, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so it is very much relative. The other thing here is this unpaid money for the laborers is crying out from the ground for God's justice. That should give us comfort because at times people may steal from us and stuff like that. But at the same time, we need to be very honest about ourselves. Have I left any creditors hanging? Oh. Okay. Am I in that category? Yeah. Have I walked out on bills and mm-hmm. and things that I made a commitment to? Like, well, I'm not just gonna I'm just not gonna pay that, you mm-hmm. know. Have we borrowed money from people promising to pay them back and mm-hmm. never did? Mm-hmm. Uh, so just kind of a heads up. Keep there. your commitments. I mean financial yeah. commitments or really other commitments. You know, there is a time where you realize that you've bit off more than you can chew. But generally speaking, we need to be people with a reputation of following through with our commitments. Yeah, we pay our debts. Yep. So I think here we have now in verse 7, as you'll start reading, the Christian's attitude towards the injustice. All right. So it says in verse 7, Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient. I like that, the need for patience. Also, I think it's connected with stand aside and let God deal with this. Don't take your own revenge, Romans chapter 12. It's not like, well, there's nothing you can do about it, and neither is it. It doesn't matter. It Mm -hmm. does matter. Yeah. God's going to deal with it. Exactly. Life is not fair, but justice is coming. So that's why we need to welcome his return. Romans 2, 9 through 11 says, There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first to the Jew, then to the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good, first to the Jew, then to the Greek. For God does not show favoritism. Now, Obviously, Jesus is going to come again and deal with everything at the final judgment. But mm-hmm. even in this life, there are times that judgment falls, like a physical judgment yes. falls, that can really take you by surprise. So, Mark, is this book written then before the destruction of Jerusalem? It's my understanding it is written before that event. Okay, yeah. so is it your understanding then when we see this, the coming of the Lord, I mean... Does I it would apply say to that, both. Is it I a principle? I would say that that could apply to both because okay. they're both coming. They're both comings of the Lord. Yes. The one in Jerusalem was a coming of the Lord, and it was chronologically near. Mm-hmm. The other one could happen at any time, mm-hmm. and so in that sense, it's always near. Yeah. So, the, what do you think about this analogy? The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets its early and late rains. Well, I assume this is something that he gives them because they would clearly understand this, that many of them 
understood the agricultural world, mm-hmm. okay? Because they had mowed fields, right? These were the people that were yes. mowing the fields and mm-hmm. not getting paid. And yes. so just like the farmer knows that the Lord is going to send rain for the crops, we know that the Lord is going to come in judgment mm-hmm. and that the farmer trusts the final outcome to the Lord to send the rain and we can trust God for the final outcome of our lives. Yes, it's like he acknowledges his dependence on God to make fruitful his labor. And so this is the case with us. And so he says in verse 8, you to be patient. And then he shows what that looks like. You to be patient, strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. Mm-hmm. You know, the um, early and late rains, the early rain fell in October, November, December, and extended uh to January and February. And so the first showers of autumn um, kind of like revived the thirsty soil. Yeah. And the later rains were lighter, and they fell in March and April. Okay. And that would be very relevant to this audience. Yes. Because these were people that it looks like were people who labored in the field. Yeah. They understood that. Not only that, but I think there's something here of, hey, God's judgment is just as certain as the rain. Mm. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's it's going to fall. That's a good point. It's going to fall. Now, we might have to let, wait, you know, mm-hmm. but be like the farmer. Do not panic. God will deliver. It really does show how we are to welcome his return. You know, that farmer, was he welcoming that rain? Absolutely. And so we also need to welcome his return and wait with a feeling of calm confidence in his promises. And while we're in that calm confidence to really take that time to strengthen our hearts. There's a different translations, Mark. Uh, Stand firm is what NIV says for strengthen your hearts. NLV says take courage. And G&T translation says keep your hopes high for the coming of the Lord. And in that way... You don't feel sorry for yourself. Absolutely. Not only that, you're not envying these people there because, man, they're in trouble. Yeah. And not only that, you might be motivated to try to help save them because mm. it's not going to go well for them. What a beautiful point. And you're not going to pity the life you have because you're right with God. But I think it's a good thought here. It's interesting how James keeps throwing in this, hey, the Lord is at hand. Yes. Live with a greater awareness that Jesus could come at any time time. Yes, the nearer he is, the better things will get for those who are on his side. That's for sure. And so part of being patient and strengthening our hearts is verse nine, right? Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. I looked up that in different translations as well. And so ESV said, do not grumble. King James Version said, grudge not. And then ERV Version said, murmur not, brethren, against one another. So some translations say about one another. So what are your thoughts in that verse? You know, here's one of those places where you might be tempted to think, well, he just started a completely new topic, right? Mm -hmm. And yet I would say no, because... They're being persecuted, and when you're persecuted, it might be very easy to take out your frustration. It is. On on your mate, on your brethren, etc. And that's a very real temptation. You know, we get our tempers get short, and life is difficult, and life is hard, and mm-hmm. you're exhausted. It, you're you're exhausted. afraid. Yeah. Sometimes we want to involve others in a misery, you know, which is not a good thing. Right. But 
I think this is interesting because notice that God doesn't kind of tap him on the hand and say, poor soul, poor soul, mm-hmm. and I don't expect anything of you. Mm-hmm. I mean, he tells these persecuted people that haven't been paid. Okay, now, here's the thing. Don't complain. Mm. Now, if persecuted people that haven't been paid are not allowed to complain, what's my excuse? Let's just have a moment of silence (laughs) (laughs) with that thought because that, yeah. Mark, we got a little bit of complaining by some really well-off people. I'll not even say young people. I'll say a lot of citizens of the United States of America right now. So, Yes, very good advice. If these people not getting paid for their hard work in the field, mowing the field, uh, they're not even getting paid, but they're seeing their boss out partying it up with what they were supposed to be paid with, and they're not supposed to complain. No, because they're subject to the same judge. Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of what really catches me is verse 9 is that the judge is standing right at the door. The rich that are persecuting you, they're in trouble. If you start murmuring, you're right with them. Oh, that's a good point. And you know what? In just a few moments when the Lord does return, they would give everything they have to trade places with you or if you are oh, still yeah, under absolutely. the favor of God. Yeah. So feel his nearness, right? If he's standing at the door, feel that nearness because he is standing at the door and repent, you know, repent now if needed because this is the day that the Lord has made, and this is the day that's been given to us, and today we have that option. So no better day than today than to find the favor of God. I think one of the temptations is that sometimes I feel, since I'm going through a hard time in my life, God kind of holds me to a lower standard, and I'm like, oh, I just need to blow off some steam, and we don't find that. You're being persecuted, but that doesn't mean that you're allowed to take... Go take a run. Mark, that's happened to us. Go run around the house. Yes, there's been times when I'm like... Time to take a walk. It's, Mark, I'm going out, and if it's bad, it's like I'm going on a run. It's like, oh boy. Then then you know. Watch out, yes. (laughs) Verse 10 says, As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. So how did they respond? You know, I think about Jeremiah and and pretty much all the prophets. Pretty much, and Jesus notes that, pretty much all the prophets were persecuted, Mm -hmm. you know, that that they were not treated well. We admire them, but boy, their generation had heard them did die. Mm, did did not. not they did not enjoy Isaiah they did not enjoy a Jeremiah or an Ezekiel as the prophets came through those persecutions mm-hmm. we consider them very blessed yes for they for, endured for the ones that held on to their faith kept living godly lives treated other people right and we admire them. We admire them. Yes. Matthew 5.10 says, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So they are blessed of God and admired by humanity for having endured injustice. And they're blessed now. You know, they're in a blessed state now. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, do you admire the prophets or not? Because it's like, well, I admire the prophets, but... I don't want to be like, <laughs> I yes. don't want to have to endure. Wait a minute. You admired they endured. Yes. So, Same thing with Job. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and merciful. So there, Mark, we see that the faithful never doubt the goodness of God, right? No matter what life throws their way and always trust that relief and reward are coming soon and that he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Revelation 21.4. Now, I'm not saying that's an easy mindset. Sometimes one technique I use, Mark, when I know that my attitude is not aligning with my spiritual goals, you know, like I can do better, that I'm having a lot of negative thoughts about a situation, 
that feels very unjust to me. My prayer to God is often, I'm choosing a better attitude, but I am not feeling it right now. Would you help me out here? You know, I'm asking God to change my heart, change my mind on the thing. I've chosen it, but I need you to help me feel it. That's a good point. Too many people make the mistake of, well, unless I feel it, it doesn't count. And it's like, no, act it, act Mm -hmm. it. And if you act it, the feeling will come. If you start displaying that behavior, the feeling usually will catch up with Mm -hmm. it. You're not required to feel it first. Yes. Do the right thing and you'll feel better about it later. I'm impressed that, hey, Job's a real person. He's a real historical person. And that book is a true book. It's a a book that that's exactly the way it happened in his life. Mm -hmm. And we have his right name and we have the right story. And the outcome is the same outcome we have in the book is that at the end of that book, God is full of compassion and merciful. Mm-hmm. So man, I mean, Joe, man, talk about you're going through nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Every Job. time. Oh man, well, you're playing the Job card. You're playing the Job card. You know, <laughs> I, I wanted to really feel like, man, I'm really suffering. And yes. it's like, well, hey, have you heard about Job? Oh boy. Now I can't complain, but it's very useful to put your own sufferings in proper context mm-hmm. and perspective. I like the outcome. There's always an outcome. There's always an outcome of the Lord's dealings. Mm. In this chapter, though, we have two outcomes, right? The outcome of judgment, Mm. and we have the outcome of mercy and compassion. So Mm -hmm. the two outcomes in the chapter, one is be faithful and do what you're supposed to do. And guess what? The outcome you get is full of compassion, Mm. mercy. Mm -hmm. The other is judgment. You get the fullness of God's wrath on the other one. Right. When he says, do not complain back in verse nine, it is not because he's not full of compassion. It's not because he's not full of mercy. Because I think about Mark in Matthew 24, when Jesus is looking at Jerusalem and he's, you can really see his compassion there where he says, you know, how often I've wanted to gather your children into my arms like a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not have it. And so, yes, maybe, Mark, one of the reasons why we're not to complain is because God knows that we believe what we say to ourselves, too. Like, it's not... It's not healthy for you to kind of nest in resentment, right? It's very, very healthy for you to find a perspective that you can live with, with all these injustices. And this perspective, I think that we've been given in this chapter is that justice is coming and it is going to be very compassionate and merciful for those who love God. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for joining us for this scripture hike of James chapter five, verses one through 11. We'll see you in the next scripture hike. God bless.